I only have a few of these newsletters about our home for boys and girls. And here's what I'd like to do is, is give uh, at least maybe one to a family. And if you do this, only if you're going to pray for the home, okay? So if you put this on your icebox or the mirror, uh, that's where you normally are, right? So, uh, so let me have a couple guys help me out. Raise your hand if you take one and pray for our home for boys and girls. We'd be able to get the doors reopened, okay? Thank you, gentlemen. How, uh, some of those, I think, are, I just looked at that. I think what you're handing out there, yeah, that's about the warfare conference. I, I had them mixed up. I'm sorry. Some of you got about my warfare conference. Some of you got about the home, okay? So that's okay. Okay, now put it away. <laughs> Stop reading. All right. I, I should know better than that. Uh, this series I didn't talk about the other night called Winning the Spiritual War, uh, we packed it out. It's got the authority of the believer inside of it. It's got um, part one, part two, part three. It's got the battle is the Lord's, part one, part two. It's got the weapon of wisdom. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, wisdom is better than weapons of war. I believe that wisdom is the greatest weapon that we can operate in to combat against the enemy. And then we have this one they put in there on the side is developing a warfare mentality. And that one there I preached probably more mess times than I've preached any message in my life. I believe God's people have not developed a warfare mentality. And they're in a war, they don't think about it. And then this one is the facing and accepting adversity. Inside this one has the material I'll cover tonight called maintaining freedom. Also inside here, we have why some people do not get help. There's a lot of reasons why people do not get help. And one of the reasons, I'll give you this, is the Bible says, as it's in um, Psalms 74 and Genesis uh, 34, you have, the Bible tells us that <clears throat> Joseph's father, after his brothers came home and deceived him, and to make him think they got killed by an animal. The Bible says this, the father said this, I, I refuse to be comforted. Then you go over to Psalms, and David said the same words, my soul refuseth to be comforted. And a lot of times people get in a bind, and they begin to go down that trap, that down to an, an adversity, and they stay in it long enough, listen, they find an identity in their adversity. And therefore, they, they're afraid to give up their identity as the person that's suffering all the time. And it's self-inflicted then. And then, so what they're doing is they're refusing to be comforted by God. And there's others in there. And then also in here is the teaching on how to face, accept, and embrace adversity. This one's called It's All in the Head. We talked about it the other night. We didn't teach it, but we talked about it about overcoming strongholds, how to cast down imaginations, how to take care of knowledge that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and how to bring thoughts into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. And then we have um, closing the doors that we've been covering this week. But you also get in here 10 ways we give place to the devil. 
and then you have cutting and eating disorders, the understanding the foundation of schizophrenia from a biblical perspective, and how to help people out of sensual sins. And then we have this book, we have a few of these left. And this book here has almost everything I've covered this week so far uh, inside of it. But along with it, it has the material on how to develop a warfare mentality, uh, who we are in Christ, the power of a hidden life, putting on the armor of God, warring against satanic schemes, binding and loosing in warfare prayer, the power of sensual sins and how to break unhealthy soul ties, the foundation for the authority of spiritual warfare. And then I put in the back a lot of scriptures just to help us that we should memorize and hide in our heart that we might become better warriors. So all that's back on the table plus more back there. I want to begin tonight with this, this uh, thought um, in during the Civil War. <clears throat> the, there were times, and for instance, over at Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, over in Chattanooga, there were times that the south would take the, the hill. Then the north would come. And as soon as the south would take the hill, what they would do is they would begin to cut down trees and stones, and they'd roll them over the edge to make it more difficult for the north to come back up. What were they doing? They were fortifying their ground. And th that mountain actually exchanged several times. The north would come up and run the south off. And as soon as the north would take, take the mountain, then what would happen was the south knew they better not wait very long because the north was going to do the same thing. It would be even more difficult to take the mountain. And they would drop trees down, which would obstruct their able to come up the mountain, and they'd roll, roll rocks off, and they would dig in deep on that mountain because whoever held the high ground was able to control the battle. In fact, there they were able to control the flow of the river. They, that river's right at the bottom there, and if the south... Um, uh, ammunition was coming down on a boat, they could destroy it from there. Well, anyway, the point is, is last night when we closed those doors that we dealt with, then what we did was we took ground back from Satan. Now, understand, Satan understands they lost that war, that, that ground last night. Now, he immediately, he's not waiting, he immediately is preparing to take the ground back. He, and you've got to fortify the ground now. It's your responsibility to for the, fortify the ground that, that, that you got back from the enemy in your life. And so we've got to learn how to do that. And that's what we call it maintaining freedom principles, okay? And the first principle that I want to talk to you about, and there's a lot of them, so let, listen attentively, and I'll go through them as quick as I can. The first one I want to talk about is, and it's not working, isn't that great? Okay. Unplug my the stick and put it back in. It was working for a church. Is it moving on your screen? I don't know. No.
we came early, checked it out. Thank you. Great. Let me uh, give you this principle here, grace versus temptation. So, well, let's put a definition for grace up. A good definition is this. Grace is the God-given desire and power to perform the will of God in any given situation. Let me show you how that works. You got saved by grace. Is that right? That's what Ephesians says, 2.10. Well, what, what happened? God, it was God that worked in you. His grace came to you, and you received the power and desire to, to get saved. Then Paul said, as you've received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. You, okay, you received him by grace. Amen? And so how do we live? We live by God giving us grace. Amen? He gives us grace. In other words, he gives us, God gives us the desire and power to perform the will of God in a given situation. Paul said, I am what I am by the what? Grace of God. Sir, and, then, and so what does that mean? That means, Paul said, if you see anything good in me, it's by the grace of God. It's God that was working in me to do this. You're here tonight by the grace of God. You say, no, I chose to come. You know who gave you that power and desire to be here tonight? It's God that did that. And that's wonderful. Amen? Let me give you a verse of scripture here that will reinforce that. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Isn't that good? And so it's God that works in you both to will and to do what he wants you to do. And no matter what happens in your life, God's grace will be there for you at the point that you need his grace. And so what I'm going to need here is uh, the preacher slipped out. Is that right? Right? He's still there? Okay. Okay, let me do this. There you are. Would you get in church, preacher? I tell you, I don't know what we're going to do. If you can't keep the preacher in, what are you going to do, folks? Can you come up here, sir? Okay. And, and will you get four hymnals for me, okay? Four hymnals for you? Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. And Brother Mike here, you get four hymnals, okay? And preacher, you stand over there with those four hymnals and Brother Mike here, okay? Okay. John, will you come up here? Okay. Sir, no, you don't need them. No, that'd be too heavy for you. So stand right here. Now, uh, let's see here. Let's get this evened up. Um, let's back up that way, preacher, okay? Thank you so much. Now, what we're going to do here is um, preacher's going to be God, okay? And I'd asked the preacher earlier, I said, who, who would make the best devil? And he said, Brother Mike. Did you hear that laugh? <laughs> yeah, that's scary laugh, man. And so, and so this is going to be a Christian. I said, who's the best Christian? And he didn't say you, but I chose you. That's okay. yeah, it's, yeah. But no, who's the Christian? Here's God, and here's the devil, and here's the Christian. And this is John. John came forward. I, I'm, I'm making this up. John came forward last night. I, you may have. I don't know. John came forward last night and closed some doors. Now, what the devil knows is he wants that ground back. So he is right now, John, creating a personalized piece of temptation to get you to reopen that door. And I don't know what the doors were that you closed, but here's the deal. Is God, God knows what you closed and the devil knows. And let's just say that John here closed the door to a generational iniquity of anger that was passed down from his dad in his life. 
Well, the devil wants to come with a personalized piece of temptation to get you to get angry again and reopen that door. You understand what I mean? But here's what's wonderful about God. God over here knows what the devil's doing. Did you know that God knows everything the devil's doing? Because if God doesn't know what the devil's doing, then he's not God. Amen? Because then that means that really God's going, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's doing that. And God knows what he's doing. So God's already created a personalized piece of grace to handle that personalized temptation to get John to reopen the door of bitterness and anger towards someone that he forgave last night. Does that make sense? So what we're going to do is the devil's going to come and he's going to offer you a temptation. No, not yet. Not yet. And, and God, you have to be there right when, right when the devil's there, okay? And so here comes the devil, okay? And he's going to offer you. Now John has a decision, okay? John has a decision to make. And John, what are you going to take? The temptation or the grace to handle it? There you go. Okay. He chose grace. You guys go back to your corners now, okay? And so what he just did, he just said, God, I need your grace to handle this temptation. Now, uh, understand this, okay? Is Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, or the word abound means increases, that what? Grace does much more abound. Amen. You know what they just said? That, do you know what they just taught you? It's a whole lot more than you thought it was. What it just taught you was, at the moment of your sin, temptation, God's grace is bigger, always bigger than the temptation. Always. That's what he just said there, isn't it? He says, where sin is increasing, temptation is increasing. God says, I want you to rest assured that my grace is much more increasing at that point. And what a wonderful enlightenment to that scripture, isn't it? We read it over and over and we don't really see what it says. We see here that we must learn to choose God's grace over our natural inclination to sin. That, and see, it's a natural thing after you've been in anger and bitterness for a long time. Now it's a habit. It's habitual to operate in anger and operate in that unforgiveness. But now he's closed that door. But that doesn't mean the devil's over, so the devil's going to come and offer a temptation again. Go ahead. And there's God. And John's got to make a choice. John, make a choice. Okay? He chooses grace again. Okay? <laughs> And so, look, watch this here. This is so good. Is He's got, watch, twice as much grace in the area of anger and bitterness that he's ever had before. Did you hear what I just said? Oh, yeah, that's really true. Okay, do it again, guys, okay? And uh, so offer him, and he chooses, okay, grace. And let's do it again, okay? There he is, okay, grace. Now, watch this. This is so powerful, because here's what the Scripture says. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect at the point of your weakness. You see that? See the word strength there? I'm pointing back there because it's back there, you know. People are going like that. The word strength is that grace. So my grace is going to be totally sufficient for you at the point of your weakness. And my strength, which is my grace, is per What's it? It says, look what it says. At the point of temptation and sin... Uh, and weakness, God says, my grace is at that point perfected. Do you hear what I'm just telling you tonight? Is God's grace is at its greatest at your weaknesses. God's power and strength is made more available to you at the point of your temptation. You see what I'm saying? And sometimes we go, oh man, the temptation was so great I couldn't help it. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because God, that's not what God said. God says, my grace is made perfect at the point of your temptation. My grace and my strength is made perfect at the point of your weaknesses. Amen? 
and where you're, you'd say, oh my, it's so hard. Well, I know that increases, but God's grace increases more, yeah. according to Romans, right? Isn't that true? And so, you know what? Sometimes you've got to learn to do this. And, and folks, I can't remember what the next scripture is right now in my mind, but, but let me just say this to you, is, uh, is how do you get grace? Well, you get it through humility, don't you? God resists the, gra- the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so here's John, and the devil comes and offers him temptation. And, he, and you know what you can't do? You can't go, oh, I can beat this thing. No, you can't do that. What you've got to do is say, you know, God, I am, I am weak. And in point of my weakness, God, I need for your strength to be made perfect right now. And that's humility before God. And when you humble yourself before God, God's grace will always be more powerful than your temptation. Amen? Sure, that's true. That's a very powerful truth. Give those back and let's do it. Reverse this here. And remember this. Okay, now John's going to fail here. Okay, John, so temptation comes and God's going to be there for you. But you know why he does? He fails. Now look at this. You know what he just did? He reopened a door to the demonic activity that came to the unforgiveness and bitterness of his life. And then the devil comes again, offers it, and John fails again. And then John fails again, okay? And John fails again. Now here's the problem. The problem is he's got, this is compounding too. Where the Bible says grace upon grace, okay? It really means grace heaped upon grace is what that means. As you respond in humility to God, He'll give you grace to conquer every temptation in your life. But if you respond inappropriately, this is going to compound back to where what? Did you know it will become as much as seven times worse than what you began with? That's what the scripture says, isn't it? That uh, the demonic powers leave and they come back and they find out that you didn't really take care of everything. So what do they do? They come back seven times worse. And you know what? I've seen that over and over through the years. And I would encourage you tonight to, to every day tell God, say, God, throughout my day, when the temptation comes, I am going to humble myself and choose God's grace so I can do what? That I might perform uh, the will of God. Not just perform it. You know what else it does? We quoted it earlier. It gives you the desire to do it. Isn't that good? So often people go, oh, I just I want to do what's right. And I uh, just uh, tell you, the desire to do wrong is more powerful. No, it's not. It is not. If you say the desire to do the wrong is more powerful than to do the right, then what you just said is the, the uh, temptation is stronger than grace. It's not stronger. It's not. The problem is you're not humbling yourself to get the grace into your life. Thank you, gentlemen. You can have a seat. So remember, principle number one is grace versus temptation to maintain freedom in your life. The next one is one of my favorites, and that is internalizing Romans in chapter 6. Now, here's the problem with this one I'm going to teach you. You won't do it. You say, I'll take that challenge. Good. That's why I said it. I want you to do it. But here's what happens is, remember when Jesus, the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that the Spirit, Jesus being led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's what it says. And so the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the enemy. And while it was there, the temptations came three times, and Jesus says, it is written. Isn't that what he said? So he used the Word of God to combat the enemy. And this chapter 6 will help you combat the enemy as he comes and tries to knock on your door and take ground from you, okay? And here's, what, here's how it goes. And everywhere we see the word sin, we're going to put one of those doors, okay? Everywhere we see the word iniquity, we're going to put 
like that generational iniquity in there, okay? So it's something like this, and I'm going to put it on the screen, but I'm going to more or less personalize it as I do it and how I operate in it. So here I am, I'm going through the airport, and I'm walking through the airport, and I see something that, that for instance, uh, I walk up to uh, buy my water in the morning as I get inside the airport there in Des Moines, and uh, same fellow behind the counter, his name's Frank, and I walk up, Frank, how you doing? Good. I said, Frank, bottle of water. Good to see you, Rev. Take the money out, give it to him. Now down here are these magazines. They're all down here now. They used to be behind the counter, but now they're here for little five-year-old boys to see. And so I'm standing there, and, and I'm just being transparent with you. you know, I got to make a decision, don't I? Talk to me. I got to make a decision. You say, well, you're wicked. You are too, okay? And so I started the club, you know, so you can be in it. And so, you know, these magazines are here. Now I've got to make a decision, right? And so what I got to do, I got to say, God, I choose your grace right now. Your power and desire to perform the will of God in this given situation. Amen. But also what I'll do is, uh, Frank doesn't hear me saying this, but what I'll do is I will do this. I'll say, well, what shall I say then? Shall I go ahead and look at those magazines? Uh, that grace may abound? No, God forbid. How shall I, who are dead to these magazines, live any longer therein? No, you have to, so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. And therefore, like we are buried with him in the baptism into death, like as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so now, right now, I'm going to walk in the newness of life. And knowing this, that my old man has been crucified with Jesus, that the body of immorality, the body of lust might be destroyed, and that henceforth I am not going to serve my lustful eyes at all today, for he that is dead is freed from his lust. Amen? Amen. And so maybe your problem was um, maybe uh, inappropriate television that we closed last night. Well, let's put... Put that in there, okay? Movies or central or, or maybe uh, central material or uh, maybe central sins, okay? So uh, now if I be dead with Christ, you know what? I believe that I will also live with Jesus, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, he dies no more, so death doesn't have any dominion over him. For in that Jesus died, he died unto immorality once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So likewise, right now, I reckon myself to be dead indeed unto inappropriate television or inappropriate movies, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ my Lord. And so whatever the door you close, that's the, okay, let's put music, okay? Uh, so I'm not going to let music therefore reign in my mortal body that I should obey it in the lust thereof. Isn't that good? And neither am I going to yield my eyes, my ears, as instruments of unrighteousness unto inappropriate music, but I'm going to yield myself unto God as someone that's alive from the dead, and my members, I'm going to yield them as instruments of righteousness unto God. So this is what's going on. You know, you probably work on a job somewhere, a secular job, and music is there. And you're going, I just can't stand this music. Now look, look at me. When are we going to get over this idea that we've got to quit every job that has bad music? I mean, where are you going to go? You know, you're going to die. You're going to starve to death, right? So we got to learn how to combat these things with the scriptures, amen? In fact, if you were, and I'm going to interrupt here, this teaching here, just to inject this. If you were to look up the word, uh, the word where it says, neither yield ye your members as instruments, the word instrument in the Strong's Concordance is weapon. Isn't that interesting? So God's saying that, that don't yield your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears, your legs, your, your, your mind, and emotions uh, as 
weapons of unrighteousness, but then he says, but yield your members as weapons of righteousness. In other words, did you know that if I do this right, that God will use me as a weapon to do damage to the kingdom of darkness? Amen? Sure, that's what he, that's what he wants us to do. Amen? And then, so what other doors? Someone help me with another door that we might have closed last night. Or anybody remember any of those doors? I'm really checking you out right now. Yes. Alcohol. So here we go. So alcohol shall not have dominion over me, for I'm not, for I'm, for I'm not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall I drink the alcohol because I'm not under the law? No. Uh, but under grace? No. God forbid. Knowing that, you don't, know, don't you know that whom I yield myself servant to obey, his servants I am to whom I obey, whether alcohol unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Let's deal with generational iniquities, okay? And so the iniquity of anger. But God be thanked that I once was the servant of my, my, my father's iniquities, but now I've obeyed that form of doctrine that was delivered unto me. And being now made free from these iniquities, these generational iniquities, I have now become a servant of righteousness. Amen? I speak after the manner of, the, of men because of the infirmity of our flesh. For as I used to yield my members as servants to uncleanness under these iniquities and iniquities and iniquity, even so now I'm going to yield myself as a servant of righteousness unto God. For now, he says, for when we were yet servants to these doors that we had opened, I, I was freed from righteousness. What fruit then I had in those things, which now I'm really ashamed of those things, for the end of those things is death. But now being made free from whatever your door was, I have become a servant of God. I have the fruit of holiness, the end of everlasting life, for the wages of those doors was death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I use that. Okay, here I am. Again, I talk about the airport because that's pretty much my world as far as uh, my world outside the airport is in an office with people all day long. It's either with this next to my ear or I am with people. That's, that's what I do. So I'm out there and I'm walking through the airport and I see something inappropriate. And I'll say, you know, likewise right now I reckon myself to be dead indeed on that, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. And, and if you don't internalize Romans 6, then you are, you are unprepared to handle the temptations that are going to come. Now, here's what I would do if I were you, is, um, is I would encourage you tonight, and you ladies, go home, get some three-by-five cards, and write Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 on one side, and 3 and 4 on the other side, and make enough for everybody in your family. And then, Dad, you take the initiative, okay? Not the mom, but the dad, okay? Take the initiative, take the card, give it to the kids and say, now look, we're going to memorize verses 1 and 2 for the next five days. And every time we have dinner together, we're going to quote those to one another. And anybody that can quote one of the verses, I'm going to give them a reward. And uh, in fact, you might say, if you get two verses done this week, you know, tonight you get two scoops of ice cream, amen? amen? If you only get one verse, you get one verse, okay? Or one scoop. And then you, then you next week you do the three and four on the back. And go back and say, now before you do three and four, I know you memorize it, quote verse one and two and three and four. Because you don't want to, repetition is how you learn, amen? And as your children and you go through that, teach them how to internalize that and apply that to the personalized pieces of temptation that Satan will bring into their lives. And I promise you, I promise you, this will empower them to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so internalize Romans chapter 6. So we got grace versus temptation, and then we have internalizing the scripture of Romans chapter 6. 
Now, the next one that I believe is a, a very important one to maintain freedom is build a working relationship with the Word of God. Now, as you see it here, Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, he says, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he says, he meditate, doth meditate day and night. Now, that's an interesting scripture, because this is not what we do. Here's what we do. We get up in the morning, and we read our Bible. Did you know the Bible doesn't say to read it? In fact, it says you're to meditate on it. And not just in the morning, it says day and night. What does that mean? In other words, when you begin your day, you begin your day with the Bible. Amen? And you're to finish your day with the Bible. That's why it's day and night. Amen? And so the last thing on your mind should not be Fox News. It shouldn't be that. Uh, it shouldn't be a movie that you watch. The last thing should be something scriptural in your life. Boy, you've got to work on this, don't we? Amen? And, and so God says that, you know, you will prosper if you do this. Now, when we talk about prosperity, we're not talking about some hyper-prosperity, health and wealth gospel. We're talking about a gospel that brings to us prosperity spiritually. And uh, as you build a working relationship with God's Word, it will change your life. For instance, the Bible continues there. It says, And he shall be like a tree, as planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth, what? Shall prosper. Amen? Shall prosper. And how many of us need to prosper spiritually? Amen? Sure we do. Joshua talks about this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt what? Meditate therein. When? Day and night. That thou mayst observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt, what? He shall make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. And so as I meditate in the scriptures, and um, I was blessed to be around men early on in my life that were in the book. I'm talking about in the book, and they inspired me to be in the book and memorize the word of God and through the years, hiding it in my heart, uh, having that working relationship with your Bible. Uh, it's so very, very important. I was leading the singing one time for Hyman Appleman, and Brother Appleman was sitting on the platform, and when he got up, he was a Russian-born Jewish Greek Orthodox lawyer. Now, that's a hard person to get saved, you know what I mean? A Greek Orthodox a lawyer, a Jew, amen, and from Russia, amen? That's a hard guy to get born again, but when they get it, they really get it, Amen. And so he got born again, became really one of the most renowned worldwide evangelists of, of their day. And Brother Appleman, I was sitting on the platform as he was um, um, getting up to preach. And I was sitting back here, and he took his Bible, and he laid it on the pulpit. And he asked the people to open up to a text. And he, I could tell his Bible wasn't open to that text. He just opened his Bible. He just went like this. And he said, open your Bible to this. And then he began to quote the Scriptures. And he quoted that whole chapter there and acting like he's reading it out of his Bible. You know what he'd done? He had a, a relationship with, his, with the Word in his life. Amen? And, and then what was beautiful was this. His brother Appleman, he was in his 90s then, and he, he took the Bible and he went like this. He went... And then he preached it. And what he had was not just a, a knowledge of the Word, but he had a relationship with the Word. It was an intimate one. And I ask you tonight, how close are you intimately related to your Bible? Because this book, uh, the Bible says, if you hide in your heart, it will keep you from sin. Amen? Sure it does. And so we, we need to have a working relationship with the Scripture. It says, receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. 
uh, as we engraft the Bible into our life, as uh, we have at the home out there, we have apple trees. And we had a man come out that was growing an orchard. Uh, his daughter was in our home, and she and he had a big orchard where he was from. And he came and took a branch off of one tree and engrafted it into another tree. And he said, we're going to get a different kind of apple here. And that's what he did. And he engrafted it. And engrafting it, as you know, would be you take a branch of this, you cut it off, and you, and you tie it to this one. And uh, you'd, you'd kind of slant the cuts. So they, and this one feeds that and creates another type of apple. Well, anyway is you engraft God's word in your life, you're going to start getting the fruit that you've always desired. Amen? And you've got to engraft the scriptures into your life if you're going to maintain freedom. Uh, number three is learn, or number four, learn how to declutter your life of things that have no eternal value. And, and this one here is such a hard one for us to do in America. You go to some other country, they don't have all the stuff that we have that's in our faces. Amen? Uh, so, but we are so cluttered with things in our life that have no eternal value. Let me give you a verse of scripture on that. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says that thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, No man that warreth, no man that warreth, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may what? They may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now think about this. God says this, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. What does that mean? Let's reverse that. What it means is, if you are entangled with the affairs of this life, then you cannot be in the battle. You can't be in the war. You're not going to be effective in the war. You're going to be killed in the war. Amen. Amen. And so you say, well, what do you mean? Let me give you another way to put it. Simplify your daily schedule to only God-given priorities. Simplify your daily schedule to only God-given priorities. That's a wonderful truth. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that you can't go fishing. I go fishing. I don't preach against anything that I do. So I go fishing. So, amen? Sure we don't. Amen. I love to fish. I, I, don't get, I go like three or four times a year. So that's, that's not much of a passion, but that's all the weather we got up there. You got to get out there before the <laughs> freeze is over. But I love to fish. I love to fish with my son. But you know why? Is I see that as an eternal benefit as I spend time with my son and those type of things. So I don't see that. But listen to me carefully. Let's see. Um, I'm going to uh, walk over there to that wall. Can the camera follow me over there? Okay. Very good. There we go. Get these guys alert back there. Okay. Let's just pretend here that your life begins at this wall right here. And you came into the world. This is the plumb line timeline that it began. And one inch off of that wall right there represents your time on earth. One inch off of this wall represents your time on earth. And God says to you and me, what you do in this time frame right here in that time is going to determine all of eternity how you're going to live. Isn't that crazy? What I do right here in that little bit of time is going to determine how I live there. And you know what we're doing as God's children? We're living as if we're in eternity, and we've, amen? And we're not really preparing that our life, that one inch of time, it's time span. And by the way, it's going quick for me. I can't believe how fast it's going, amen? It's crazy. I mean, when I think about it, you know, I'm three-fourths of the way done with my life. Well into that, okay? And, and so, you know, I've got to make sure that what I'm doing has eternal value to it. Now, what that does for you, that helps you maintain freedom. Because you know what? You've made a decision that I'm not going to get wrapped up in the things of this world. I'm not into sports. If you're into sports, I don't think it's wicked to be into sports. I'm not into sports. I, I, uh, I, I, I don't, again, I don't care if you watch football or whatever y'all people watch down here. Every state's different, okay? Uh, we watch the corn grow. It's fun, okay? And soybeans and pigs. 
and it's just an exciting state, amen, to be in. And so, but, but whatever you do, but here's the thing, is you don't want to get entangled with things that have no eternal value. And by the way, your sons and daughters need to see that in your life. Amen? I mean, if you, listen, I know this is a, kind of a hard thing to say, but, but I mean, most of us know the score of the basketball game or the football game, but we don't know the reference of the scripture the preacher preached on Sunday. You know why we don't? Because it, it did not move us emotionally enough to remember what he preached on. But we remember that football game or that basketball game or whatever that you watch. You know, we got to get this straight, folks. Amen? Because if you don't declare to your life of things that have no eternal value, then what you're going to do is you're going to find yourself consumed with them, and they'll take you, and you'll find yourself in bondage again. And then we must develop a personal and corporate prayer life. Now, I, when you talk about prayer, it's one of the most difficult subjects for any of us to talk about, isn't it? Amen? Because, you know, how often do we say, boy, I wish I prayed more. Anybody ever say that? I do. I say it every day of my life. And then every time I come to this point, I go, boy, I wish I would have prayed more before I got up there. Amen? I'm being honest with you. And, and, but we, need, we must develop a personal and corporate prayer life. <clears throat> now, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because you have a ministry here, and you're in the middle of probably a million people if you went on the outskirts of Memphis. I would guess that. Somewhere like a million people. You said, no, it's 948,000. Okay, all right. So uh, a million people, okay, you got right here. Now, you understand that I'm in the middle of uh, the metropolis of 26,000. And I'm not talking about a town that grows into the next town. I'm talking about my town stops and then there's thousands of acres of corn and soybeans and pigs. That's it. Okay? We run buses. One bus leaves. It's 48 miles before it gets to the town that it's going to pick up kids in. Think about that, okay? Another one runs 26 miles. Another one 21 miles. And uh, because that's the type of community that we're, we're in. It's so densely, uh, it's not, not very populated, obviously. So... But, but, you know, even though we don't have the big burden that you have, the big community, you know what, it's a burden for us to win our community Christ. But to walk in victory is so important that your church has a corporate prayer ministry and that your personal life has a prayer ministry in it. <clears throat> the Bible tells us in the scriptures, it says in Isaiah 56, 7, For mine house shall be called a house of prayer. For all people, that word all people means all ethnic groups, all, all groups of people, uh, everybody, all nations is what it means. And so God says this, I want my church to be called a house of prayer. Now think about that. You know, as I was growing up and around Baptist churches and now I travel and men pick me up and, and I said, tell me about your ministry. And they'll tell me about their Sunday school and they'll tell me about their their. Uh, radio broadcast, and they'll tell me about their Christian school and their Bible college, and they'll tell me about all that they got going. Did you know that this is the truth, and I'm telling you right now, I have never had anybody, when I asked them, tell me about your ministry, have they ever said, let me tell you about our intercessory prayer ministry. I've never had anybody tell me that. <clears throat> There's the most important thing, and we don't do it. Is, I don't look, look, are we warped or what? You know what that's evidence of? You trust in your flesh more than you do God. In fact, it's evidence you don't even believe God. You believe you. You believe you. Right? Sure. And yet, as I say it tonight, I say it, and I know I'm going to uh, go out, but I want to say it 
in humble way is we have over 100 scheduled prayer meetings a month at my church. Over 100. And people coming to pray and seeking the Lord. We have prayer meetings for the backsliders. We have another prayer meeting for the lost. We have a prayer meeting for our church finances and men's businesses in our church. We have a prayer meeting for the community's needs. We have a prayer meeting for uh, struggling marriages. That's the one I head up. I pray for struggling marriages. That's the burden of my life is to help struggling marriages. And we have prayer meeting for teenagers. And we have prayer meeting for children. And we have prayer meetings before church. Every time I preach, there are men praying in a room for me as I preach. And I didn't do anything to initiate that prayer meeting. My men came to me and said, we want the power of God to be on you. And so a layman decided, I'm going to come up with like a ladies, like ladies have a nursery schedule. They have a schedule that's passed out. I don't ever know. I've never seen I don't ever look at the schedule. A layman took the initiative to make sure two men are praying for me every time I preach. Now what would happen if we would do that? Amen? And God, would, people would come and you know what happens is people know our church prays. And then you know what happens is people call from everywhere saying we need your prayers. Amen? Isn't that what we're supposed to be known for? Amen? Come on, talk to me tonight. Amen? Uh, James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I love the verse, the effectual. That means the effectual means the effective, the life-changing, the impacting, fervent. That's emotional, crying out to God, prayer. Of a righteous man, that's a man that confesses his sins, forsakes his sins, makes no more provision for his sins. God says, I will make much available to that man. In other words, God in heaven is looking for a people that will be willing to cry out to him, amen, and call on the name of the Lord. And Jesus said this, and I'm sorry I don't have the reference up there, I just noticed that, but it says, but thou, when thou prayest, he says, enter into thy closet, when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret, shall, seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, look here. Did you know that whatever you're seeing openly happening in your church is the evidence or the level of your prayer life that's in private? Amen. Amen? I mean, you go search the scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17, you have Elijah. God says, go hide yourself. He hides himself for three years, three and a half years. He hides himself. And then in chapter 18, next verse, God says, now go show yourself. And when he came out, what happened in chapter 18? He went to Mount Carmel, and God defeated the enemy on Mount Carmel. Amen? And what we're doing, we have way too much show and not enough hiding. Amen? And if we're not going to hide ourselves, then we have no business showing ourselves. Amen? And I'd like to encourage you tonight, and I'm just, this is really an encouragement. If you play the piano here in this church service, then you should never play the piano unless you've asked God to help you play that piano. And if you're an uh, usher here tonight and you take up the offering, you shouldn't be as a Pharisee and take up an offering that you haven't even prayed over. Amen? And if you sing a special, you should you say, I've sang that song 20 times. I'll do it again this week. If you do it without prayer, then friend, you should not be doing it. And same thing with that Sunday school class. If you go into that Sunday school class and you teach that class and you have not hid yourself, you have no business showing yourself. Amen. We've got to get this straight. It's not straight. It's not straight. In, in, the, in churches like yours, all over this country, it's not straight in most churches. And so we've got to get, get this straight. I, I love, let me uh, testify here just a moment. Um, there, there's a church over in South Korea, and by the way, many churches. And that church was birthed out of persecution, South Korea, many, many years ago. And 
they began to have prayer at 4.30 in the morning in South Korea. And today, they have pushing 100,000 people meeting at 4.30 in the morning praying. Every morning. And that prayer movement is going around the world as we speak. And yet, don't see it in our Baptist churches. We have done so well propping up the flesh. And wouldn't it, sometimes I wonder, it would be just be good to cancel everything that hasn't been covered in believing prayer. Cancel it. Stop doing things that have not been covered and strengthened by believing prayer. Most of what we do would have to stop. And so we need prayer ministries. We need corporate prayer meetings. We need private prayer meetings. And I have people that have prayer meetings in their homes. You said, aren't you worried it'll start another church? We need competition. My auditorium's full. So someone needs to do something else. I'm just saying, folks, listen. We need to pray. And this helps us maintain freedom throughout our ministry in our personal lives. I love praying with my wife. I don't pray enough with my wife. But if you men in this room tonight will listen to me, listen to me carefully. Every Christian woman in this room desires to have a man that will initiate prayer with her on a consistent basis. Do you hear me? They, they're yearning for it. They're dying for it. They're going, when is he going to ask me to pray with him? And men, why is it so hard for us to pray with our wives, but we'll come down and pray with the preacher or pray with some men? That, that, has, that makes no sense with me. And do you know why it's so difficult? Because the enemy knows that when a husband and wife, according to Peter's epistle, and they begin to pray together, that they, that they become joint heirs together in that, and God answers more prayer through a husband and wife team than anything else. My wife and I, we have a prayer list. Uh, and I normally don't even share this. I don't know why I'm sharing this. But we have a prayer list. And her phone is synced with mine. And she adds a name. And I add a name. And it goes on my phone. And then we pray down through that list. And I always get frustrated because if she starts, she's going to pray the whole list before I get to pray. <laughs> Amen? Sometimes I'll tap her and say, this is a prayer meeting here, okay? <laughs> meeting with me, okay? She's so unbelievable. I'm so thankful for my wife that it dawned on us that we weren't praying together. We're busy in the ministry. <clears throat> and for the several many years now, that prayer time together has been so good for us. And it's a designated time that we're going to meet together in prayer. Amen. And what does that do? It, it really maintains freedom in my marriage when I do that. And then accountability and strong discipleship. We need to develop a relationship in God's Word with another spiritual person. Someone whom you would feel very comfortable sharing your heart with and would be committed to praying with you. That could be your wife or your husband. But we need accountability. And by the way, men, you need accountability. Every man in here needs accountability. I'm preaching on the type of men that men need in their lives. I believe Sunday night I'll be preaching that. My intentions are right now. is the kind of men a man needs in his life. But we need men that will be accountable with us and that are, are, will do strong discipleship. I mean strong discipleship. When I 
I, of course, I was saved. I told you that in 1964. But in 1974, God called me to preach, right? Latter part of 74. Let's see, May. Yeah, latter part of 74. I was headed in my senior year. And I was working at this truck stop, and, um, and I didn't really know what to do my next step after I got called to preach. I just started, when I'd see someone that had a church, I'd say, you want somebody to come preach? I'll come preach. I didn't know what to do. And amazing, people had me come preach, amen? And uh, I won't t- tell you my, about all that. That's funny. But, but anyway, I'm this grill cook. And my shift while I was going to high school, I, I worked from 5 in the afternoon to 4.30 in the morning on the weekends. And uh, so I'd go to work at 5, I'd get up at 4.30. Well, I noticed these three guys, one was paralyzed from the neck down, and these two guys would carry him in on a bed in the truck stop. And they'd pull him up to a table, and had a table that, that uh, a, um, a bed that it slanted up and locked into a position, and he was strapped in that bed. And they put a coat hangers, they made a stand for him that stood on his chest, and they took the paralyzed guy's Bible, and they put it on that stand on his chest, and they put a pencil in his mouth, and like yeah, and he would, you'd say, open your Bible to Malachi chapter four. He could he could just immediately go there, but with his mouth. I mean, he beat you trying to find the scriptures. It was incredible. And his brother would bring him. His name was Mike, and the other guy was Dave, and then of course myself. Well, anyway, we met together. What what happened was I, I noticed they were studying the Bible. And I would go out there and I'd say, what are you guys doing? We're studying the Bible. And I said, you guys meet here at 4.30 in the morning. I said, I get off at 4.30. Could I join you? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what they believed. I just knew I wanted fellowship, amen? And I wanted someone to teach me the Bible. And these young men, they were young. I was a lot younger than them. I was 17, 18 years old, and they were 19, 20, 21 years old. They were old guys then, amen? And, and we memorized scripture together. And you know what they would do? I would come out and sit down. They'd say, okay, Marvin, how did you do today with the, your eyes? Did you have roaming eyes? Uh, Marvin, how did you do with your thought life? Marvin, were you in the Word? Marvin, did, and we asked one another these questions. And we were transparent with one another. Amen, as the Bible tells us in the scriptures. I think I'll throw it up there on the board there. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So we would confess our faults one to another in that discipleship time. Now you say, well, what did that do for you? Let me tell you what it did for me. The one, the paralyzed young man, he passed away. And his brother pastors one of the enormous church here in America. And his brother also has started, I'm going to have to guess, somewhere around five, and I'm going to be conservative on this, five or six hundred prayer meetings around the world that are ongoing prayer meetings around the world in cities around the world. This guy that, that had a paralyzed brother that would pray with me in accountability. The other guy has an, a ministry, had, well, maybe not anymore, I haven't been in touch with him, but he had a ministry of going in and, and getting children that have been uh, uh, sold in the uh, traffic, uh, sex traffic, and he would go in and, and get them back. And that was a ministry of his. And, and you've you got to imagine, folks, that discipleship that we had that time was so very, very important. Now, look at me. Most people are not going to do what I say. I know that. I've accepted that. But wouldn't it be neat if, if Lord would let me come back and I come up to you and say, who are you meeting with on accountability and strong discipleship? And folks, it'd be neat if I could see many of you doing that. Amen? It'll help you maintain freedom. And then the next step of maintaining freedom is learn to invest in other people. In other words, find your place in the body of Christ here and begin to serve him by giving what? The truths that I've given to you. And go give those truths to help other people. Amen? 
Uh, the scriptures tell us about that. Look here. It says, the red letters are mine, by the way, okay? It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God's the God of all comfort. Amen? And what does the God of all comfort do? He comforts us in all of our tribulation. Amen? Now, why does God comfort us in all of our tribulation? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Well, how in the world am I going to do that? Oh, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. See what I'm saying? God's Word tells you the plan of how you take the way God has helped you and go help other people right there in the Scriptures. I had a young lady come to the home when she was 14. Her name was Holly. And Holly came to the home. Uh, she was an adopted young lady. And she had some issues in her life, and she stayed with us until she was 16. She graduated from the home. She went home to be with her mom and dad. Uh, Holly, when she got home, she had taken this book. And she bought this book because and, and, I took her through the doors when she was with me, and she got set free. And so what she did was she would take this book into a lady's jail at 16. And her mom would go in there with her, and she would sit, sit there, and she would take the ladies in the jail through closing the doors, one-on-one. -on -one. And she took many, many ladies through closing the doors. In fact, she returned to come back to our Bible college, and she graduated from a Bible college. She started a ladies' jail ministry in our area, and she was able to win a lady that committed murder to Christ, take her through the doors, see her get set free. Amen? And then now she's a school teacher in Ohio. On a staff there. And you know what she's doing there? She's helping get people set free. Now, you know what she did? She got set free, and she was committed to taking the things that she heard from, from the, whoever gave it, that I gave it to her, and, and other people at our ministry, and she took those principles, and she began to share them. Now, this, this meeting does not have to stop here tonight. If you'll go and say, you know what, if, he can, if that 16-year-old girl can do that, I can take that book, and I can take people through those doors and see them get set free too. Amen? Then next is develop an attitude of a winner. In other words, according to the scriptures here, name all these things, folks, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, nor things come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. According to the scriptures, we are more than conquerors. Am I right? Amen? Sure, we're more than conquerors in this room. Um, you know, could uh, this dear brother here, here uh, would you come up here and help me out right here? Yes, uh-huh. Come up here and help me out. And, and I want you to um, stand beside me here. And, and, you know, God says that we are more than what? Conquerors. So let's just say that him and I got in a fight tonight, okay? And you can tell I'm going to win by looking at my body, amen? <laughs> huh? Oh, see, this coat hides a lot. You, there's so much behind this coat, you wouldn't believe it, brother. And, uh, and so, but let's say him and I got in a fight, and he conquered me. Well, you know what? God didn't call you a conqueror. You know, some of us are, we're conquerors. No, he didn't call you a conqueror. He called you what? Oh, you're more than a conqueror. So there's something even bigger than a conqueror. You see what I just said? Thank you, brother. You did well. Ate your Wheaties, didn't you? Amen. Amen. Yeah, guys like that, you want them on your side. Amen. So... God wants us to be more than conquerors. So I got to thinking, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Because, I mean, I, I understand what a conqueror is. But what is more than a conqueror? And here's why I believe that God is teaching us in the scriptures here. I believe he's telling us here, according to the other scriptures, knowing that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come nor angels or principalities or powers can separate us. 
And if God be for us, who could be against us? And who can lay anything against God's elect? You know what he's saying? That you're more than a conqueror? It means that no matter what happens in your life, he is, the battle has already been won. You're already victorious in the conflicts of your life. And God wants you to develop the attitude. I'm a winner. I'm not a loser. So many of God's children are walking around as defeated victims instead of victorious warriors. Amen? And I've been there. I know what it's like to feel defeated and, and become a victim. And you, listen, if you're there tonight, you cannot stay there. Do not stay in that mode of a victim. Uh, because let me tell you, that, will be, that could become your identity. And you don't want that. And I had to, as the Lord brought me up out of the pit, and set my feet on the solid rock out of the miry pit of depression, I begin to understand that I am more than a conqueror is in Christ Jesus. Amen? And uh, so I've developed more of an attitude of a winner. And then if you keep the doors closed, in other words, if you reopen a door to the enemy, then immediately close the door. My mom was a single parent, and she was raising us three kids. And my mom, we'd play baseball down in my grandparents' lot, which is three houses over in the backyard. And you know how kids are, they play until you, you can't see the ball anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever done that? Amen. Well, we did that, and what we would do, you, you, you'd be doing this. Because you didn't want to quit playing balls. It's so much fun. Amen. And when the ball got hit and it zung by your head, you, oh, that's it. We got to quit. Amen. <laughs> that's enough. I didn't see that coming. And well, what happened was when it got dark and supper was ready, mom would go and turn the porch light on and she'd flicker it and we could see it way down three houses over in the backyard. And then my brother and my sister and I would take off running and we'd run through everybody's backyard and they hated us for running through the backyard, but we did it because it was the fastest way to our house. And we'd run through their backyard and then we'd come running in and my brother would zim, go right into that kitchen he'd sit down my sister go through there and here I came here I came slowpoke you know and I come in I'd sit down my mom said who was the last one in I was me she said you know close the door you you know if that rate I never understood it she said did I raise you in a barn I go oh, no I don't think so uh, no no and I understand what she meant amen but here's the thing is somebody said to me the other night, they said, okay, we closed the doors, now what? Well, listen, closing the doors is not an event, it's a lifestyle. So remember that. In other words, every day of my life, I probably have to close the door in my life, okay? You understand? And, uh, and it's better now, obviously, as you've, I've been doing this for a long time, but, but this is a lifestyle. Now, to do this, you got to learn how to walk away from your past. In other words, some of you forgave some people of things in your past. You got to learn how to walk away from your past. You see, you cannot continue to let your what? Past interrupt your future. Some of you look back at your life and the devil beats you up over stuff that you did years ago. Well, look, look, think about this. Are you going to continue to let your past to interrupt your future? No. Listen, if the past is past, then let it pass and leave it in the past. That's a good one, amen? Okay, I made that up. If the past is past, then leave it in the past. No, and let it pass and leave it in the past. That's the MES version of that. Marvin Edward Smith version. Uh, so whatever's in your past, let's leave it there, folks. Amen? Let me give you a different way to look at it. Joseph went through all that he went through. His brother sold him into bondage and went through jail and slavery. And Joseph called the firstborn son Manasseh. 
And here's why. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In other words, Joseph understood if he didn't let go of the turmoil and toil of his dad's home, his brother's turning on him, he would live a bitter life the rest of his life. And you don't want to do that, folks. Amen? You don't want to do that. Some of you came forward last night. You gave up your bitterness. You gave up and forgave those. Listen, then give birth to a Manasseh in your heart. And that is what? I'm going to forget my toil of my past and the father uh, things that were maybe in my home that bothered me. In other words, what? It's dangerous to keep looking in a rearview mirror and drive forward. Amen? In other words, you're in your car. You're driving down the highway, 70 mile an hour, in 70 mile an hour zone. Okay, right? I covered that twice. And you're driving 70 mile an hour, and, you, and you're looking in the rearview mirror all the time. And you know what's going to happen if you keep just staring in the rearview mirror about highway that you've already gone over. You know what's going to happen? You're going to smear your lipstick. Amen? Sure you are, because you know what's going to happen? You're going to go in the ditch, the airbag's going to come out, and it's going to go through all this, and you're going to have it all over your face. Amen? Remember that, okay? And so, so here's, here's what I want you to do. I mean this with all my heart, is whatever's in your past, I want you to reach up and take that mirror off the windshield of your life and put it in the floorboard. You can't change what you did in the past. I've got three regrets in my life. I got more than that, but I'm talking about three major regrets, things that, that I don't even like to talk about, okay? Things that I wish I'd never done. Can I change that? No. Can I turn my clock back and go back to there? No. But you know what I can do is I pulled the mirror off a long time ago and said, those things are not going to control my future. Amen? And I've, I've let it go, and I've forgiven, and I've been forgiven, and I'm not going to let the past ruin my future. If you fail, learn how to fail forward, please. In other words, if you do fail, you think it should say fall, it should say fail. But uh, we, if we fail, learn your lesson from that failure. I fail all the time. And you know why I don't do I don't let my failure stop me. Amen? Well, I am not going to. Look, you know what? A little failure. Here's what people do. They go to a conference like this. Oh, you know what? I failed. It didn't work. No, listen. The battle's not over. This is a war. We, we got to keep fighting. Amen. And so I fail. And so what do I do? I go, God, I'm so sorry I failed. But you know what, God? I'm going to learn something from this. And you know what I do? I write down on paper lessons I've learned from my failures. Uh, next one is make no provision for the flesh. In other words, the Bible says, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Let me put it bold to you, okay? Clean out your house. Ladies, no, I'm just talking, messing with you. Um, what you need to do is go home. If you're mu you have a music issue, you close the door to bad music, then let's go home tonight and get rid of the bad music, amen? And if you've got an issue with internet pornography, then let's do this tonight. Let's just cancel the internet. Wouldn't that be good? Or do this, as I was on the phone with someone today, and I, and I told them, I want you to go out and I want you to get covenant eyes and hook it up to your devices. And, and all of our college students at the college pay $10 a year to have covenant eyes on their, on their devices. And, that, and what does is everything that they look at, if, it, if it's questionable, it flags it, and, it, and, the, and their wife's, are there, uh, your wife or these young people, our staff, is able to look at a monthly report and we see anything that is inappropriate, we call them in. Well, you know, it's amazing what accountability would do for you, amen? And don't you want that? Don't you want that? Most men don't like that, amen? 
Uh, let me give you a little tidbit, okay? Let's say you're looking at your laptop, okay? This, this gives this away. You're looking at your laptop, your wife comes in. If you do this, how you doing, honey? That, that, let me tell you, that's a giveaway right there, okay? Or you're looking at and she goes, can, um, can, can, I, can I see your phone? And you go, why? Why? Don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? Now look at me. If you can't do this, my wife can see my phone anytime. I have no problem. If my phone rings, she can pick it up and answer it anytime she wants to. She can, I've seen my wife sometimes go pick up my phone and uh, she'll say, did such and such text you? They text me. I don't know. Take a look. And you know what she'll do? She'll see different people in there. Well, who's from that area? Oh, that, someone called me. That, she, I don't care if she sees what I'm doing. Right? All right, let's get honest about this. Let's get transparent. Clean out your house and make no more provision for the flesh. This is the way you maintain freedom, folks. And then the last thing tonight, boy, we're going to get out of here early tonight, amen, is practice the doctrine of replacement. In other words, this, for every lie that Satan shoots into your mind about God, others, and yourself, or every image, inappropriate image you take through the eye gate, the eye affects the heart, every knowledge that is humanistic and all thoughts that are not of God, and they're easy to determine which ones are of God or not. I like it when people come in and say, could you tell me if this thought's of God or not? Come on. Every thought that's not of God, every knowledge, thoughts, every image, every lie, then replace what? Lies with truth. See, what I do is I'll be going, this happens to me. I'll give you a real, real clear testimony. I deal with this every, all the time. Here's my, the lie of my life. I will leave here. And I'll get in my motel room tonight, and the devil will say, You're, what you did really didn't amount to anything this week. And I'll sit there and I'll go, no, it means something to I think it means something. He'll, no, no, it doesn't. And you know what? Your wife, here you are, off, away from your wife, 100 nights out of the year, you're gone. And without her. And what do you think she thinks? Boy, he lies to me. He beats me up. And you know what I have to do? I have to give him truth. Amen? You fight lies with truth. Amen? And, 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 and so when the devil comes to you and he says, God doesn't love you, you say, but God commands his love toward me. And then he says, you can't, do, you can't get victory. You, you can close those doors all you want. You can do what Smith said all you want, but it's not going to help you. And you know what you need to say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And, the, and, and he'll lie to you about others. He'll say, people don't love you. And he'll say things like, God doesn't accept you. Some of you in this room right now, you believe that. God doesn't accept you. Well, my Bible says God accepts me in the beloved. Amen? Some of you think God has bad thoughts about you because you're not this superhero Christian. Did you know? Now, this is going to blow your mind. God never has a bad thought about his children. Try that out. Jeremiah says, I know the thoughts I have toward you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. 
And I think about an expected end for you. In other words, I have a vision for your life. You said, but you don't know what I've done. I'm just telling you. He'll say, God doesn't love you. Well, what do you say? Well, why doesn't he love you? Well, I failed. Well, did you know that God knew you would fail? So if God knew you was going to fail, then why did he love you in the first place knowing that you're going to fail? Amen? I mean, think about it. Uh, listen, anytime my children failed, I did not, I didn't attack them, Right? I, I mean, some people think God has lightning bolts out of all in, ends of his fingers ready to zap you if you mess up. And if you mess up, I'm going to break your leg. You know, people go, oh, don't pray that God do anything. Why? God's not going to do anything but out of motivate out of love. Right? Right. And, you know, if my daughter fails, you know, my kids aren't perfect. My kids have failed. And at the moment of their failure, you know what I did? I didn't reject them at their failure. Do you know what I did? I got closer to them in their failure. Isn't that what we do? Then why do you think you're a better dad than God? If we being evil know how to love our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father love us? God does not reject us when we fail. He comes alongside of us and picks us up. Amen? Somewhere we got to get it straight. And so the devil will lie to you. He'll lie to you and then he'll... So immoral images come in. You know what you got to do? You got to replace them with moral images. You say, what do you mean? Well, on my phone, for instance, I've got a um, uh, picture of my wife and I. We were in Cancun last year. In fact, next week we'll be in Can not Cancun, Cayman, Cayman Islands. I'm preaching a spiritual warfare conference down there. It's a wonderful thing to go there, preach warfare. <laughs> Amen? And uh, I had the privilege of preaching throughout the Caribbean islands, and we're working through there, and this door has opened up for me to take it to that island. And I uh, got a picture of my wife and I on the phone, and, and uh, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm on an airplane and, and I have to sit by someone that's inappropriately dressed, or, you know, I, I you know, just change the image with my phone. Amen? Or maybe, maybe you don't have it on your phone, but you're, you're going through an airport, or maybe an image to a television show or something. Well, anyway, those images as they come in, change the channel. Use your brain like it's a television. In other words, watch this. Study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the latter part of those Gospels, and study the sufferings of Christ. And picture yourself walking through there with him. There's a book by Gene Edwards called The Day I Was Crucified. It's a tremendous book for you to read. And you read that book, and then you get a picture of what Jesus went through on the cross. And then the next time an immoral image attacks your mind, change the channel to Jesus on the cross dying. Don't be, don't be quick about it. Stay there. Watch him. Meditate on his sufferings for you until that other thought dissolves in the picture of Christ. You can't think of that and Jesus on the cross at the same time. So I do immoral images. I replace them with moral images. And then false knowledge with the word. There's all kinds of knowledge that tries to exalt itself against God's word. And I, I replace it with word. And then in a, improper thinking with upper think, thinking. What do you mean by that? I mean, uh, the Bible says in Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse Chapter 2, verse 3, or 
3, verse 2. I can't remember at this point. It says, if you then, being risen with Christ, then risen with Christ, then set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. And you know what I do? God says I have the ability to set my affections in places. So I can set my affections on things above and not on things of the earth. These principles that I've given you this week have been used around the world. I'm talking about around the world. And I took them to other countries, and I thought, does it go really going to work in other countries? Took it to Ghana, took it to Brazil, took it to Mexico, took it to the Philippines. The Philippine people love it. They just love hearing it. I took it to throughout the Caribbean islands. I took it to uh, Canada just last week. I was up in Canada. I've taken it around the world and present these. They're all over America. And you know what? The people that are doing what I've taught, not me because it's the word, these principles have set them free and they're living it. There are men and women who have taken the closing the doors teaching and they have learned it and they've taught and they're using it in their churches to help set people free. I love you. I appreciate you, each and every one of you, what um, uh, coming out each night. It's been good to be here. But remember this, it's not an event. This was a lifestyle that I've taught you. Amen? Amen. All right, let's bow our head and close our eyes.